Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. What are the qualities of a champion of faith? The Bible says that he that sanctifies and we who are being sanctified, we are all of one. For which cause he's not ashamed to call us brethren. The Bible says he that sanctifies, who is Jesus, and those who are being sanctified, who is us, are one. And the Bible says that's why Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. We are brothers with Christ. We are connected to Christ. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the brother of a lion is not a goat. The brother of a lion is not a calf. The brother of a lion is a lion. And because Jesus demonstrated that lion nature while he was on the earth. He was a champion of faith. He he was in control everywhere he went. We too, now by virtue of our connection to Christ, should carry that same DNA. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, a scripture that you hear me oftentimes quote on this broadcast, it's one of my favorite in the entire Bible, is as His divine power has given to us all things all things, not some things. Write that in the comment section. I want you to write that. All things. That's a a great confession to make. It's not just some things that God has given us power to do. As His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to glory and virtue. Then verse 4 says, and by these magnificent promises, we have become partakers of of the divine nature having escaped the corruption of this world the first adam when he sinned fear dominated him insecurity dominated him he lost his ability to operate as a champion on the earth when the second adam the last adam came jesus christ the bible says we became heirs of christ himself it's no longer i who lives christ now lives in us and so we are to demonstrate the same dna that christ demonstrated while he was on the earth we are to carry that champion nature and a champion nature in you is going to produce champion habits champion words champion lifestyle all around you so you can't say that you believe your new identity in christ what paul writes most of his letters on in his epistles and then have old identity lifestyles or old identity um, old identity habits or you you still carry old identity thoughts about yourself the bible says we are to renew our mind the bible says we are to put off the old man put off the insecurities put off the old fears put off the old man and as we are renewed in the spirit of our mind by the word of god we then put on the new man i want to read this out of second corinthians chapter 3 And verse 18, listen to what the Bible says. Let's start with verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's freedom. And I believe, before I move on to the next verse, I believe many of you that have struggled with insecurities and fear all your life, that you kind of like, you walk, it, it shows even in the way you walk, in your demeanor, in your eyes, 
that you really have no confidence in God in your spirit because of the insecurities of your past. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was family around you that berated you and they had nothing good to speak about you and they constantly talked down around you. And as a result, it's constantly, it's put like this vicious thought cycle in your mind that you're not good enough you'll never be good enough you'll never obtain the life that God promises that you can have you'll never move on you'll never thrive where others are striving you'll never be a flourishing Christian you'll never be a victorious Christian I want this broadcast today as the spirit of the Lord comes to confirm his word the Bible says there is liberty I pray that you will receive not just momentary relief but absolute eternal liberty from the horrible thoughts of your past and and from today, like Paul says, that whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, and whatever is worthy of praise, those things will dominate your mind, dominate your habits, dominate your life from today onward. I pray in the name of Jesus, by the anointing of the Holy Ghost, the weight of your past be lifted. And whatever you were before, be forgotten. For God says in Isaiah, behold, I am doing a new thing. Before God can do a new thing in you or through you, sorry. Before God can do a new thing through you, he's got to do a new thing in you. Before God could do a new thing to you, he's got to do a new thing in you. And so before you can see new things take place in your life, God said, I'm going to do a new thing. The oldest path, the Bible says, Isaiah gave an instruction as a result of this promise, this, this new thing God was going to bring to the people. Isaiah goes on to say, so forget the things that are in the past. Forget the things that terrified you in the past no longer consider the things of old people that are so tight on the past never have strength to walk in and march on in to the glorious future that God has for them but I pray today you're going to receive liberty in the mighty name of Jesus from whatever the devil's used in your past to tie you down with and as as a result stunt your growth verse 18 2 Corinthians 3 18 when I turn to this passage for but we all that includes you that includes me with unveiled faces. By the way, if you're just joining me right now, please help me by getting this word out to more people. Share the broadcast as much as you can. It does help. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And the mirror he's talking about here is the word of God. We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in the word of God, the glory of the Lord, the word of God reveals the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when you get exposed to what I'm about to talk to you today, what I'm about to talk to you about today, which is all scripturally backed points, when you expose yourself to the Word, there is a transformation process that begins whereby you are made more and more into the image of Christ. Romans 8 says, those whom he did predestine, he also called. Whom he called, he called to be conformed to the image of his Son. We are being conformed. Form. The Bible says in Romans 12, not we aren't being conformed to the patterns of this world. We are being conformed to what? We're being conformed to the image of Christ day by day, transformed from glory to glory. 
Every day that you live on this earth, you should make efforts by exposing yourself to the word and in prayer to become more and more, not only in the character of Christ, but also in the power of Christ, in the habits of Christ, and in the mind of Christ, day by day. The Bible says in James chapter 1, let me read this. James chapter 1, further proof, further proof that this word is a mirror that we're to look into and not just look into and say, wow, isn't it amazing what Jesus looks like? It actually shows you what you're to look like in Christ Jesus. That's what a mirror does. A mirror, if I went into a natural mirror today, I would see myself exactly as I look like in the flesh. This is a spiritual mirror. You don't see yourself what you look like in the flesh. You see what the spirit man in you looks like by virtue of our redemption in Christ Jesus. So a natural mirror reveals what you look like naturally. A supernatural mirror reveals what you look like supernaturally because of you being connected to Christ now. So James 1 says... Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. So he's there relating the word of God to a mirror. He's using this, um, he's using this, uh, this example of someone looking at his natural face in a mirror, just like I did a couple of seconds ago. So he's relating mirrors to the word of God. The man looking at his natural face in a mirror, for he immediately observes what he looks like and then forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, referring to the word of God, and continues to stare into it, to look into it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer of the work, this man will be blessed in what he does. That's why it's so important to have a daily intake of the word of God. You can never walk out as a champion of faith if you're void of the understanding of the word of God, of what God has, uh, has made you to be in Christ Jesus. You will never show forth that champion nature that God put in you in Christ if you don't expose yourself constantly to the word of God. You know, when I go to a southern destination and I sit under the sun for a little while, I go into a, I come back home. People that may have not have known that I was even in a southern destination. They'll ask me, did you go down south? How do they know I went down south? Because I have a tan. My skin has changed. My, my appearance is different. Well, in the same vein, when you expose yourself to the rays of the scripture, it starts to have a change on you, spirit, soul, and body, where people can know that you've spent time in the presence of God. People don't have to question whether or not you've read your word, and you've studied your word, and you've prayed to God. You know, when Acts chapter 4, the Bible says that the, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the teachers of the law, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, but then they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They saw the boldness that they carried, and they immediately recognized these people have been with God. Like Moses, who went on the mountain, he came down, his face was shining like the sun, and people couldn't even, they couldn't sleep he was like a, a a night light for them so they put a veil on his face that's why the bible says in second corinthians 3 
We, with unveiled faces, they put a veil on Moses' face until the glory faded away. The Bible says we have a glory that does not fade away, and we shouldn't veil that glory. We should unveil it. The world is waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. People that know their identity, walking in that identity, doing the works of Christ, aren't shying away from the battle, but are tackling the issues on, head on, by the power of God that's in them through the power of faith through the working of their faith and so i want to go through very quickly well let me read let me read this first first timothy chapter six i think this is an important scripture to read before before we move on first timothy six eleven. but you O man of god flee these things and pursue righteousness godliness and faith love patience gentleness verse 12 fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The Bible calls the life of faith as a fight of faith. It's not flowers and daisies. There's a fight to be done. We're not fighting the devil. We're not fighting God. We're not fighting people. The Bible says we have one fight to fight and that's the fight to stay in faith. That's the only arena the believer is called to fight in. The arena of faith, to keep to faith, to stay in faith, to guard your heart above everything else so you don't fall out of faith. But that, just like the Bible says, we don't waver from our confession. You, there, there's a, a charge on your life. There is a, an assignment for you. There's a fight that you have to engage in whether you want to or not as a Christian to not waver off the path of faith, but to keep on that path called faith. The Bible says very clearly, that we, Paul relates Christians as soldiers that aren't to entangle themselves with the affairs of this life so that we can please him who enlisted us as soldiers. Whether you know it or not, the moment you got born again, you enlisted into the army of God and you became a champion of faith. Now, whether you're a good champion or a bad champion is entirely up to you. It's entirely up to you. The, the, the outcome of your life is not based on what God wants. That's what religion teaches. Whether, he, whether, you, whether you want it or not, doesn't matter. God, God determines all of our life uh, and all of our life happenings. That's not what the Bible teaches. Bible actually says, I have set before you life and death, goodness, uh, blessings and cursings. Oh, that you would choose life through faith so that you and your descendants may live. If whatever God wanted was going to happen regardless, why would we ever pray? Why would we ever study? Why would we ever do anything? We would just say, praise God, we're saved. We have our passport to heaven. One day we'll make heaven and that's it. So why would there ever be, why would God ever invite you to pray if he had no desire to change things through prayer? Obviously, God has put the ball in our court that we actually determine the outcome of our lives based on the level of faith we carry and the level of faith we employ in life based on our actions of faith, based on our obedience to God's word in faith. It's not just whatever happens, happens. It must have been God's will. There are many things that happen on the earth that are not God's will. There are many things that happen on the earth. There's, there's so many religiously brainwashed people that think that they pretty much don't add anything that if God wants it done, it'll get done. Whether we add to it or not, it's going to get done. That's not true. Because God didn't want Israel to have a king. They cried out for a king. God gave them a king. It was never God's will to give them a king. They cried out for a king and God gave them a, gave them a king. 
You, you see the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus had no, he wasn't, he had nothing on his agenda to pass to, through, uh, to, to pass and visit the woman with the issue of blood that day. That lady, by her own faith, put a demand on the anointing and received her breakthrough. Breakthrough doesn't just happen. Miracles don't just happen. Revival doesn't just happen. Things don't just happen. The Bible is not a tale of God just doing things whenever he felt like it. The Bible is a story, is a catalog that documents people that said enough is enough. I'm through wasting my life. I'm not just gonna let things happen by chance or by luck. I'm gonna move into my God's God-determined destiny based on my actions. I'm gonna cooperate with God to bring about the fulfillment of a life that I'm desiring to have. I'm gonna cooperate. Faith is not leaving everything into God's hands and then just sitting on your couch watching Netflix till you pass out every night. Faith is cooperating with God to bring about a change in your situation. Faith has, is a responsibility that is on you. Faith is not a responsibility on God. God is not changing. God is not the variable. God is the independent. He stays the same through it all. We are the variables. What happens in our life is dependent upon our cooperation with God or our neglect of God's word. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, let me read this. Hebrews chapter 2, Paul or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, some people, are, there's a lot of debate on that. But anyways, Hebrews chapter 2, listen to what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 2, let me get this Bible. It's a new Bible I'm using, so I don't really know where the verses are. I'm a visual learner. I don't know if you're a visual learner, but... I am. And so I've like memorized one Bible. And now I'm trying to memorize another one. Hebrews chapter 2. This is what the Bible says. Verse 1. Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we've heard from the word of God, lest we drift away. Lest we drift away. Verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So the Bible says we are to give the most earnest heed to the word of God lest we drift away. And if we drift away, you know, people always say, I feel far from God. God didn't drift from you. You drifted from him. But the good news is, is if you do feel far from God, the Bible promises you that if you'll draw back near to God, God will draw near to you. You can have that restored relationship with God. So I read 1 Timothy chapter 6, 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Hebrews eleven thirty three 33 says that through faith, we've subdued kingdoms. So every time the Bible talks about faith, there's always this fight to be had. There's always this war that's happening. There's always this subduing of kingdoms. There's always a fight of faith. There is a, a violence of faith that is spoken of. Matthew eleven twelve 12 says, therefore of all men born of women, there was none risen greater than John the Baptist. Yet he that is least, in the kingdom of God is greater than he and the kingdom of heaven ever since the days of John the Baptist has been pressed into and the violent take it by force so there's this there's always this violent nature to faith that it's not stagnant it's not idle it's not on standby there is a there is a moving there is a forward movement to faith there is a fight to faith there is a a a, a warrior spirit in the spirit of faith and so I thought it good and necessary that's going to help a lot of people today as I go through the 
I wrote down eight qualities of a champion of faith. Eight qualities that um, mark a champion of faith. This is what makes a champion of faith from the Bible. This, these are things from the Bible, outlined from the Bible, that uh, allow people to develop into champions of faith. So you don't just automatically one day, it's not like God hand selects, oh, this guy's going to be a champion of faith. He's going to be a general of faith. I'm going to put my spirit on Smith Wigglesworth more than anyone else because I have special plans for him and the rest, they're all just numbers to me. That's not how God, or that's not how people develop into champions of faith. People's development into the position of a champion of faith or a general of faith or a giant of faith is based on their cooperation with these eight habits or these eight qualities these eight things that they've determined to discipline themselves in and exercise in their own lives that over time they develop themselves into these great champions of faith remember god's not working apart from you god works with you to develop you if i didn't go to church and i just stayed on you know i just uh called myself a Christian, but I didn't go to church. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray. I didn't do any of that. And I'm just believing God. One day I'm going to develop into some great, you know, faith is much like a muscle. Even like warriors back in the day and even soldiers today, Marines, Navy SEALs, they're not weak people. They don't look like sticks and stones. They're strong people. They've exercised themselves in godliness. First Peter 4, uh, First Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, godliness is profitable in all things. Therefore, exercise yourself in godliness. The Bible makes it very clear time and time again that faith is like a muscle that can be developed, that can be grown, that can increase. It's something that you can develop in your own life. I can't develop my muscles without going to the gym. I can't eat McDonald's day in and day out and expect myself to be some uh, exemplary uh, nutritionist or fitness model. No, one day... Maybe not right away, but one day the McDonald's is going to kick in when the, uh, the, the, what do you call it? The, when your, your cycle, what is it called? I forget what it's called. It's slipping my mind. When your metabolism, when your metabolism slows down, you end up, it's going to kick in and it's going to show that you weren't, you weren't at the gym and you weren't eating well. You were at McDonald's and you never went to the gym. In the same vein, you can actually exercise yourself to godliness in faith to develop that faith muscle in you so that you are a strong soldier of faith, a champion of faith that's ready to take on whatever situation comes your way. So I wrote down eight qualities of a champion of faith. Number one, let's get in it. Number one, a champion of faith is always quick to forgive and walking in love. You will never, ever develop into a champion of faith if you're holding on to bitterness, bitter feelings, and hate, and anger towards people that have wronged you in the past. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11 says, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. The Bible says the glory of a man is to overlook a transgression. I know many giants of faith, and I can name them. Kenneth Hagin. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, uh, Rodney Howard Brown. These guys, they don't hold on to the wrongs of their past. I, I've met, I met one of them. I don't know the other ones by uh, directly in contact with them, obviously, because they're both dead, Wigglesworth and Hagen. But I know people that I've heard people preach 
and talk about them in that they never spoke ill of anybody. They never brought up wrongdoings from other people in the past. They've never brought up offenses. They've never brought up things that others did to them 18 years ago that they're still talking about. They don't do that. You can never grow in faith if you're holding on to, the pe- to people's wrong, wrongs of the past. Mark chapter 11, listen to this. Mark chapter 11 and verse 23. This is Jesus speaking about faith. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. He's talking about faith because verse 22 says, have the faith of God. So therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. Verse 25. So isn't it interesting that Jesus immediately in talking about faith jumps in to this scripture. Whenever you stand praying... If you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your heavenly father may also forgive you your trespasses. If you don't forgive him, neither will your heavenly father forgive you your trespasses. Jesus taught forgiveness and faith go hand in hand. Matter of fact, unforgiveness is the greatest hindrance to faith flowing in people's lives. Oftentimes, I've met people at an altar that I've prayed for, they came back night after night, prayed for, they had physical sickness or whatever in their body and they prayed and they prayed and it seemed like nothing was working, other people were getting healed. Oftentimes, I'll ask them, have you unforgiveness in your heart towards anybody in your past, no matter what they've done to you? And many times they'll say, you know what, I've never thought of that before. But yeah, every time I think of this person, I get angry, I hate them, I've, I've never forgiven them, I've even told them to their face, this is something that is unforgivable. Well, the moment you said that, you actually crippled your faith from ever working. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 that faith worketh by love. And so if love is not working, then faith isn't going to be working. No love, no faith. Doesn't matter if you have faith, the love uh, the love factor plays in whether that faith works or it doesn't work. There's a lot of people who say, I have all the faith in the world. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. Love is the key ingredient that allows that faith to actually rise up and do what it's, gonna, what it's, what it's supposed to do. You know, just like pizza dough. You have the flour, you have water, you have some salt. Maybe some people put sugar or whatever. And then... If you have all those ingredients in, but you don't have the yeast, that dough ain't going to rise. In the same vein, you can have all the faith disciplines at work. You're confessing right. You're doing right. You're thinking faith thoughts, but you have not love. The Bible says your faith is nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have the tongues of angels and, and you speak in other tongues all you want, but have not love, you're a noisy, clanging symbol. If you have faith so as to move mountains. So it doesn't even doubt. Paul didn't say these people can never have faith. Paul says you You can actually have faith to move mountains. But if you have not love, it does you nothing. It will profit you nothing. It will not move the mountain because faith works by love. Faith worketh by love. Jesus connected the operation of faith to your ability to show mercy to others. Giants of faith, champions of faith, exercise mercy time and time again because mercy triumphs over judgment. You can't regard iniquity in your heart, sin in your heart, bitterness in your heart, and the Lord hear you. Your prayers will be futile. Your prayers will not work. You can pray all you want. You can quote all the scripture you want in prayer. You can have the greatest doctrine ever in your prayer, and it will not do anything. 
Because the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, he that says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. The truth is not in him. The truth is not in him. And he abides in darkness and walks in darkness and he doesn't know what's making him stumble. That's what you get a lot of times. I, man, I'm believing. I'm praying. I've been going to church. I don't know why I'm still stumbling. I don't know why I'm still struggling. I don't know why nothing's working for me. Have you checked up on your, 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 your heart? Have you checked up on how you view certain people that have wronged you in the past? Every time someone brings them up, you just get in on it. Yeah, he's a, he's a wicked human being. I hate that guy. I wish he died. You know, you start talking like that. Your faith is going to be greatly handicapped and will produce nothing. You look at people, giants of faith in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Look at Joseph. Joseph got sold into slavery by his brothers. You want to talk about overlooking a transgression. You think you had it bad. At least nobody sold you into slavery. Years later, he's prime minister of Egypt. His own brothers come to him. And what did Joseph do? Ah, now I have opportunity to smite them. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to give them a public execution. No, he didn't do that. He didn't react that way. He overlooked their transgression. He showed mercy. He showed grace. He showed kindness. You look at David, Saul's out to kill him over and over and over again. David, he had an opportunity to kill Saul once. You know what he did? He cut the part of his robe off. He went to the mountain and he said, look, this is proof that I could have killed you. But far be it from me that I should ever sin against the Lord in doing this. He could have killed him. He didn't do it. Saul was on a hunt for David. David had, the, had a knife. He could have put a knife. He was sleeping. Could have put a knife to his throat and sliced his throat. But he chose not to because he said, I'm going to walk in love. Doesn't matter what anybody's done to me. Ultimately, what I did for, uh, against God, what I did to God in sin and committing cause, uh, committing rebellion against God and going astray and, and indulging in sin in my past lifetime. That's nothing. Nothing in comparison to what, what other people have done to me is nothing in comparison to what I've done to God. And if God forgave me, the Bible says in Ephesians, we ought to be kind-hearted, tender-hearted towards one another, forgiving others even as God in Christ forgave us. There's a lot of people that are watching me right now. If you'll just forgive that person and genuinely, sincerely forgive them, let them go. Don't bring them up every time someone else brings them up. Don't, don't leave objects around your house that remind, remind you of what they did to you. Get rid of the objects. Anything that reminds you of them, just get rid of them. And if you'll sincerely do that, you'll find out that healing will flow through your body quicker than you could say healing. You'll find out that deliverance and breakthrough will come to you quicker than you could even, you could even get a prayer out to God. Many people are, are praying to God for something that they're actually, they've actually been given the ability to break free from that thing by themselves just by simply forgiving the other. Many people are praying for God to relieve them of something, to remove something from their life that they have the ability to do right now just by forgiving others. So number one, quick to forgive and walk in love. Number two, quality of a champion of faith is that they study constantly to obtain a working knowledge of the word of God. Bible says in Daniel 11:32, they that do know their God shall be strong and they will do exploits. So it's not enough just to quote God. 
You have to have a working knowledge of the Word of God, a, an understanding of what you're quoting. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said that there's seed that falls on the wayside, the devil comes and takes it away. Those are the people that hear the Word, but they don't understand. But then there's the seed that falls on fertile ground, fertile soil of the heart. That seed, when it's sown, it indeed springs up, bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Jesus said the reason why it springs up and bears a crop and indeed, indeed produces is because it is sown and received with understanding. The word of God is sown in the heart and received with understanding. So I'm not just quoting healing. I understand God's covenant of healing. I'm not just quoting. That's why I can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Because I don't. I didn't just hear a sermon on healing. I'm just giving it a try. I have studied the word of God to know God's will concerning healing. I have a working knowledge of that. I know how to minister it to others. And so I see healing testimonies everywhere we go. It's not because I'm something special. Smith Wigglesworth was an uneducated person, an, un, an untrained person. He, was a, he, he didn't even know how to read till he was 26 years old. But he studied. Lester Sumrall said when he met him, the guy just read for like four hours and then prayed in between. And then he, they went, had lunch, read some more scripture, exhorted from it, and then went to bed. And Lester Sumrall left the house confused as to what had happened. That was the lifestyle Smith Wigglesworth had. No wonder he's called the apostle of faith. No wonder he was the man that actually brought to light this faith. That, that, that is thrilling, this exciting faith that throughout the world now in, is inside the hearts of many in the body of Christ, all because of this man who didn't just quote the word, he went and discovered. There's a difference between scaling a land, just briefly, just vaguely looking over the land, and then going in search for a treasure. You can't scale the word and expect it to produce for you or expect faith to come alive in you. You have to go in search of its treasure that's in it. Jesus said it this way, the kingdom of God is like a man who buys a plot of land and then, or sorry, the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure and he goes and plants it in a, a piece of land. He then goes and sells all that he has and buys that land and, and, and goes and finds the treasure that he had planted. So the kingdom, the word of God is a treasure that you have to be sold out to and then have an explorative mindset in discovering the truths of the Word of God. I'm going to go on an expedition today in the Word of God. I'm going to find out God's will concerning this. That's how people of faith, that's how they operate. That's how champions of faith operate. That's why David said, how I love thy law. No wonder he can go to Goliath, take one stone and take his head off. Why could he talk so rashly and abrasively to Goliath? I'm not coming to you with sticks and stones. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies and today I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air. Who are you to defy the armies of God? How could a 17-year-old ruddy kid who never fought a battle in his life come out and challenge Goliath, a warrior from his youth? Because he had stored up God's word in his heart. He said in Psalm 1, I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, thy through thy commandments, I've made, you have made me wiser than my enemies. David said, I've kept thy word in my heart that I sin not against you. I've treasured your word. Day and night, night and day, David was, was, was developing his understanding of who God was and as such a working knowledge of the word of God. That's why he, he never lost the battle. That's why he fought and won every single time. That's why he developed into this great champion of faith that was the warrior of Israel. 
Colossians 1 says that may God fill you with all the knowledge of his will in wisdom and spiritual understanding. So it's not just, you know, knowing what God said. It's having a spiritual understanding, a working knowledge of that truth. What do I mean by that? There's, there's a difference between someone who knows how to quote the word of God concerning our finances and prosperity and then someone who gives. The one who's quoting it, he, it's not gotten into his heart yet. It's just in his mind. So he can quote it. He can declare the promises. He's Jehovah Jireh all he wants. He ain't going to reap the benefits of that covenant. But then someone who has a working knowledge of it is going to sow. Is going to sow into the kingdom. In the same vein, you can have somebody that knows Isaiah 53. By his stripes I'm healed but stays in their bed. Looking sick, feeling sick, and staying sick. But then someone who has a working knowledge of it is going to say, hey, if that says I'm healed, I'm getting out of bed. I'm going to clothe myself. That's what Smith Wigglesworth did once. Wigglesworth was, was um, he, had, he, he was sick. He had, uh, uh, I think it was appendicitis, something like that. And he was dying. The doctor actually came and signed the note uh, for his death. And then just fill, he just left the time of death blank and told his wife to just fill it in when he dies. He was dying. He didn't look good. Two people came to him, a, a woman and then a, a teenager that she was teaching how to pray. They came, got on the bed. She took him by the shoulders, lifted him up and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get healed. I, I minister healing power to you. He goes down. He's in his bed. Then it dawns on him if I'm healed and if she prayed that and the prayer of faith with oil shall restore the sick then I'm not going to stay in bed and glorify the devil another minute he got up he got up the doctor came the next day and saw him at the dinner table eating he got up he acted on the on the word he didn't just stay down he got up because he understood that if God is true and not a liar, and he said that the prayer of faith shall raise the sick, then what business do I have staying sick? He acted on it. That's what you call a working knowledge of the word of God. Wisdom is not just knowing. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom is the ability, the skillful application of the knowledge that you know. Joshua 1. Let this word of the law not depart from your mouth. Be careful to observe it and to do it. And to meditate on it day and night, for then your way will be prosperous and you will have good success. So it's not enough just to have it in your mouth and meditate on it. Be careful to do it and to observe it. Then your way will be prosperous and then you will have good success. So success and prosperity in life is totally dependent on you. Whether you're just going to just visit this book like a museum and say, oh, how, what a great comforting word. Or... If that's what God said to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fully expect that if I do what I can do, God is going to do what only he can do. Number two, studies to a champion of faith always studies to obtain a working knowledge of the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and understanding. That second hearing in Romans 10, 17 is not just to audibly hear, it's to understand the word. So we're not just hearing, we're understanding the word. That's how faith comes. That's how faith develops in you. That's how faith grows in you. It's not simply by listening to a message. There's so many people in church on Sunday. I'd say about 80% go and didn't get anything. 20% hooked on. Touched the hem of the garment and received from the Lord that day. Why the difference? Is it because God had a plan for 20% of the congregation? No. Because 80% just heard. 20% leaned in to receive. That's why Jesus told the people, 
To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to those that are outside, all things are done in parables, so that hearing they will hear, but never understand, lest they should turn and be healed. So there's a lot of people that heard Jesus. That woman with the issue of blood, she heard about Jesus. Other people heard about Jesus, but she had a working knowledge of what she heard. If other people are pressing in to touch the hem of his garment and they're receiving healing, I'm not just going to say, well, I hope he comes by my, by my way today. I'm going to do... I'm going to work what I know now and I'm going to press through the garment, press through the crowd, touch the hem of his garment and I know that when I do that, I'm going to be healed. That's what a champion of faith does. Doesn't just reminisce on what he knows from the word of God. He's constantly developing his understanding of the word and then acting. Do not be hearers of the word only, but be ye doers of the word. For that man who does the word shall be blessed in his work. Do not be hearers of the word only, but be ye doers of the word. For the man who does the word, that man shall be blessed in what he does. That's why there's people who know the word and nothing changes. But then there's people who not only know, but they move on to applying what they know. That's when change comes. That's when miracles explode. That's when you start to see things turn in your favor. That's when you start to have testimony after testimony after testimony. That'll be your story in the name of Jesus. I pray as I go on and I talk about these qualities of a champion of faith, that the spirit of faith is going to come in you. You know, Numbers chapter 13 talks about 12 spies that were sent out into the land of Canaan. 10 spies came back and said, the land is indeed good. The land is flowing with milk and honey. Matter of fact, it took two people to carry the cluster of grapes. You know what that tells you? When God says the land is good, the land is good. When God's promises lay out good things, it's not because he's working in mysterious ways and yes, we know the Bible promises good things but you know he works in mysterious no when God promises something good he brings he cashes in he brings that promise of good things no good thing does he withhold from them that walk uprightly they didn't say the land's actually not that great God lied the land was good God's promises are yes and amen to those that believe it and their promises that I know the thoughts I have for you their promises of good promises of prosperity not to harm you or destroy you God's a good God He's not out to break you down. He's out to build you up. So they didn't deny that. But they said, nevertheless, there's always a nevertheless. People that are insecure, people that, that aren't champions of faith, that, that don't have that champion spirit. People that are plagued with insecurity and fear. They're always, they always have a nevertheless. They always have a maybe. They always have a but. They always have a but. And they always turn into buts. <laughs> Nevertheless, the cities are fortified to heaven. There's giants there, and we're not able to do it. They focus, people that carry insecurity are always focusing on their inabilities. Always zoned in on what they can't do, what they won't have, how they won't get that done. They're always focused. They buy into the devil's lies and focus on the impossibility of the situation instead of looking at the possibility made possible by God. We're not able, they said. We're not, we're not good enough. I don't know if I can get healed. I'm not good enough to receive healing. Who cares about how you feel, whether you're good or not, good enough or not? God, the gospel isn't God making 
bad people good. It's making dead people live and then God puts his righteousness in them. So whether you feel like you're good enough or not based on what you've done in the past, you've been made righteous and you're entitled now to receive all the choice blessings of heaven. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you feel qualified or not. Colossians 1.12, thanks be unto the Father who hath, who hath qualified us to become partakers of the inheritance. Part of that inheritance is healing, it's prosperity, it's, it's blessing. Whether I feel like I'm qualified or not, I don't care. God has qualified me, and if I'm qualified, I'm not going to let any dev demonic voice or demonic lie or satanic whisper disqualify me from receiving. I'm not going to be cheated out of my reward that Christ paid a high price for me to have. That's right, Jelani. It's a victim mentality. And this world does a great job, and the devil's done it in society, to make everybody feel like they're victims, and that's why things don't work out. They're targeted. Give an excuse. It's this person. That's why I'm poor. It's that person. That's why I'm still down. It's that person. That's why I'm sick. That person. That's why. It's this. It's, it's the system. It's the system. Blame the system. Last time I checked, I don't go by the system of this world. I don't care if the system is totally against me. I don't care if the system literally says we're going to make it hard for TJ to ever prosper in life. I've hooked on to a heavenly system that says if you will obey my commandments, all these blessings will come on you, irrespective of if the system is favorable towards you or unfavorable towards you. God will make a way for you to advance, for you to thrive, to, for you to move forward it doesn't matter if all of hell aligns against me if god before me what system what system can wipe me out what system can take me down i'm destined to get to the top whether the devil likes it or not whether man likes it or not bible says i will set you high above the nations of the earth that's that's my covenant that's the system i'm subscribed to no man will be able to stand before me all the days of my life. That's the system I'm subscribed to. I'm not going to make excuses for men that are standing, oh, if they, if, you know, if, if I can just get that guy out of my way, then I, no man will be able to stand before me all the days of my life. So quit saying men are standing before you all the days of your life when the Bible says no man. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter what gender you are. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what your status is economically. Doesn't matter whether you're seen as the runt of the litter, just like David was. David could have easily have said that. He goes, he try, he's like saying, man, I'll kill Goliath. His brothers come up and say, why don't you go back to your father's few sheep? They got in his way. He could have said, man, if it wasn't for my brothers, I would go and kill Goliath. Trust me, I would do it. I would do it. I'd be successful. He didn't do that. He just went to the other person. All right, you're not helping me. What's the reward if I kill this guy? Well, his father's house will be exempt from taxes. And he also, he also will get his, his, uh, the king's daughter. And he'll have riches like nobody else in all, in all the kingdom. Really? That sounds pretty good. Hey, Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of themselves. I'll go. I'll kill him. He could have easily have said, my own brothers aren't. Then Saul, when he actually tells Saul, I'm going to kill Goliath, Saul peeps up and says, uh, maybe not. You're, you're not able to do that. You're, you've never even fought a battle. This guy's been a warrior from his youth. David could have said, you know what? I would have done it, but Saul got in my way. He didn't let that. He said, listen, let me tell you a story. When a bear rose up against my sheep or a lion, I killed them. 
This guy is much smaller than one of the bears I've killed. He was like 10 feet, that bear, when he stood up. And I killed the bear. I know that this guy will be just like them. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the living God? I'll take him out. Just let me go. He didn't make excuses. He always saw an opportunity. He always, he always saw a way out. Victim people, insecure people, they're always looking at the disability. Whereas people like David, champions of faith, are always looking at God's ability in them that empowers them to do all things through Christ who gives them strength. Number three, quality of faith. Refuses to look back. Well, before I do that, I was finishing Numbers 13. The two spies, they had another spirit. They had the champion mindset in them. So the ten said, we're not able. The two said, hey, we're by all means able to overtake the land and to kill the giants that are in it. For if God's with us, these people are going to be bread for us to eat. You know what they did? Isn't it, isn't it interesting when you start talking faith, instead of people applauding you, you end up, you end up getting people that want to stone you? They picked up stones to stone Joshua and Caleb because they had another spirit in them. People, I wrote this down in my notes, people of fear never understand people of faith. They can't wrap their minds around it. People that are insecure never understand people that are secure in God. Insecure people never understand people that have their security in God. They can't wrap their heads around it. They picked up stones to stone them. These guys are crazy. Enough with that nonsense talk. When you start to walk out in the... I'm, I'm telling you, people think that a life of faith is just no obstacles. You'll have more obstacles than ever before. Because you'll have not only the world, you'll have people in, the, in Christianity, your own brothers and sisters rise up against you and say it can't be. You'll never have it. Started posting things on Instagram, encouraging people. You can have the victory. Don't focus on Job's trials. Start to focus on how God restored everything. Be imagine, instead of people saying, wow, that's a good word. But a bunch of people, I have to delete comments all the time. And I delete the comments because I don't need somebody who just watched my video coming on and then seeing their stupid demonic comment that tells them that this guy's a false prophet or whatever. And then just extract the faith that they have in them. These guys, they're trolls. Like, do they wake up in the morning? I'm telling you. They're, just like there's people that wake up in the morning, like me. Say, Lord, what will, you, what will you speak to me today? How can I help people? How can I encourage people today by your word? There are people who literally, I think they wake up in the morning and say, how can I discourage someone today? How can I beat someone's faith out who's believing for healing? How can I take someone's faith out that's believing you for increase financially because they're having trouble paying rent today? How can I make someone miserable today? Oh, I, I, I'm convinced that's how some people wake up. Then they go on, on Instagram or on Facebook. Let me go and locate every faith posting today and let me just say this is not so. They go on with their little chubby fingers, someone wrote. They're fat-minded people. They got all this knowledge. They got no heart for people. Anyways, the two said we should all, by all means, overtake them because the Lord is with us. If God told us we're going to have the land, we're going to have the land. People of faith, champion of faith mindset is always looking to the promise. People of fear are always looking to the problem. People of faith are always looking to the promise. People of faith are always looking. That's why David said, come, let us magnify the Lord. Let us exalt his name. 
When he came to Goliath and Goliath said, what am I, a dog? You come to me with sticks and stones? He didn't say, well, you know, this guy's actually bigger up close than I thought he was. He didn't do that. He said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And this day I'm going to cut your head off by his power. He focused on the power of God. He didn't focus on the problem at hand. That's not to say we ignore the problem. We know the problem. But we also know that we have power with God to challenge and overcome the problem that's against us. Number three, quality of faith, of a champion of faith, is we refuse to look back. We refuse to look back. Don't bring back anything in your past that does not glorify God. I don't care if it failed in the past. If it doesn't glorify God, if it doesn't line up with this book, don't ever bring it back. The Bible says in Philippians 3, let me read this. Philippians chapter 3. Some of you need spiritual Alzheimer's. Just forget. Just forget the past. I'm not just talking about how people have wronged you. I'm talking about you might have tried something in the past and it didn't work. And as such, it's crippled you to ever try something else in the future. Forget it. Instead of saying, well, I already tried it with God and it didn't work. Maybe you tried it your own way and you thought it was God's way and it didn't work because it was your way. I can guarantee you when you do things God's way, it's never going to fail. When you try to do things your way or when you remodel God's instructions, you know, people are always taking what God said and then restructuring it to fit their comfortability. That's what the, uh, the 12 spies did. They heard, they heard from Moses instructions, go and spy out the land so they can strategize as to how to overtake the land. They weren't called to go and give their opinion. They were called to go and strategize how to overtake what point of entry to invade the land would be best. They came back and instead of obeying what Moses had sent them out to do, which was to bring strategy, they started to bring their opinion. God doesn't need your opinion. He needs your obedience. God does not need your opinion. He needs your obedience. When God speaks, it's not for you to rework the word and the instruction he gave you so that it can fit your comfortability, your comfort level. It's for you to obey whether you understand it or not to do what he tells you to do. And when you do it, he'll do what only he can do. There's too many people that are trying to rebrand God, restructure. Well, you know, God said this, but you know, I've talked to a few people and people that I really hold in high esteem and they told me that it'd be better if I did... Don't confer with flesh and blood. You want to know a simple, a simple way to live life? One, hear from God. Two, don't confer with flesh and blood. That's not to say that you shouldn't seek out from those who have obtained the promise God promised you uh, strategy or you know, learn from them wisdom as to how that came to be. Absolutely. Be followers of them who through faith and patience obtained a promise. But it, it, you shouldn't go to people that you know are going to talk you out of it. Go to people that are going to encourage your faith, incite you to have more faith, to move. And then number three, do it. Whether you feel like it or not, do it. Those are three simple ways to simplify your life. Philippians chapter three. Not that I have obtained it already or I'm already perfected, but I press on. People of faith are always moving forward. Champions of faith are always moving forward. You try, try this. Try running. This afternoon, and looking behind you, and see where you're going to go. I can guarantee you, you're going to go in the direction that you're looking in. And you're going to just loop. Or you're going to hit something. And you're not going to be in a straight line. You can't run straight if you're intent on looking back. 
The Bible says we are to run in such a way that we might win. 1 Corinthians 9.24 For those that are athletes are disciplined so that they can win temporal prizes. We are disciplined to obtain eternal prizes. So I box in such a way not as one beating the air. And I run in such a way not with uncertainty, but I fix my eyes on Jesus Christ. And he says, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection to my spirit. And I run the race that is set before me with endurance. So there's a way that you can run to win and there's a way that you run to lose. You know that it doesn't even matter if, if you're in the race, if you have a number on the sprinting field, if you're number eight and you start to veer into number nine because you're focused on him and you start running. If you veer into another man's line, you're disqualified. You can't be looking elsewhere and expect to stick to the lane that God has you on. You're going to move into other people's lanes and disqualify yourself. Paul said, I bring myself into subjection to my spirit, lest I should be disqualified. So Paul himself said, I can be disqualified. If the apostle Paul can be disqualified, then we have to keep a firm watch over ourselves, lest we too become disqualified. You keep looking back, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to run out of your lane. And you're not going to hit the finish line. Just like the people of Israel. You look at the book of Numbers. They're constantly talking about Egypt. There, is it because there was no graves in Egypt? Is it because you, you wanted to bring us up into this wilderness? How many, how, how much more food did we have in Egypt? At least we had bread there. And here we have nothing. They complained against Moses. They complained against God. Because they were always looking to Egypt. Always looking to Egypt. What happened? They marched around the wilderness for 40 years in circles. Until Deuteronomy 2. Finally God says, you've gone around this mountain long enough. Arise, I'm moving you forward. I feel like there's some of you watching me today. You've gone in circles, focused on your past. You've paralyzed yourself. You had something happen to you in 1987. And you still dress like it's 1987. You couldn't even move into a new wardrobe because you were so stuck to the past. From today, you've dwelt around that mountain long enough. This message is for you. It's time to pick yourself up. It's time to strengthen the hands that hang limb and to move forward. For I'm doing a new thing, says the Lord. So forget the things that are behind. Consider not the former things. God's moving forward. You can't be intent on moving backward or looking back and move forward with Him. How can two walk hand in hand unless they be agreed on the direction? God's direction is forward. He's always moving forward. He's a forward moving God. So if you're moving backward, there's going to be a disconnect. Paul said it this way. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, and if you read it, in the original, he's like, I focus all my attention to do this. That's what he's really saying here. I'm focusing all my energy and my resources to do this. One thing I do, forget those things which are behind. And I reach forward to those things which are ahead. Oh, that's a, I feel the Holy Ghost on that. Forget those things which are behind. But you don't know what they did to me. Forget those things which are behind. And I use all my energy to reach forward to those things that are ahead. Some of you need to rip out the side view and rear view mirrors of your life. And start to just look forward. 
Because the more you, you've been focused so much, you know, if all I do is look in my rearview mirror, I'm prone to having an accident. But if I stay focused and I keep my eyes straight ahead of me, I'm, I'm not going to have an accident. I'm going to reach the destination that God has me going in. This one thing I do, you know what that tells you? Focusing all my efforts on this, it tells you that thinking this way is not going to, it's not something that's just going to happen haphazardly. It's an intentional thing. I did a broadcast, which it would do you well if this is something you struggle with. I think I did it last week or two weeks ago on how to cast down strongholds in your mind. I did it on uh, Satan's number one weapon, I think it was called. Anyways, I would encourage you to go, out, to go and watch that broadcast because it shows you in three simple steps how to cast down the thoughts of your past or the thoughts of insecurity or fear or things that the devil's trying to confine you with and then to replace those thoughts. So you identify, this thought has been crippling me. Now that you've identified it, that it's the devil sowing that thought, you replace it with God's truth and then you form a new confession based on God's truth. Just like Paul said, I forget those things that are behind. Look, he said, I've not obtained perfection. Who knows if Paul had sinned in this day, when he was writing this, before he had written this. Who knows if that day he stumbled. He did something he knew he shouldn't have done. And so he's writing to the Philippians and he's saying, I know I haven't obtained perfection. I, I, I just screwed up recently. Who knows? But he's saying, one thing I'm going to do, I'm not going to focus and, and spend time zoning in on what I did wrong. I'm going to forget those things and I'm now going to move on to the glorious future that God has ahead of me. Refuse to bring things up that aren't glorifying God. You know, this is how David acted. David, in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 9, he says, Is there anyone, that's, anyone of descendants of Saul that are still alive? Are anyone still alive? Jonathan died and all the others died. All the others died. So he's asking, is there anyone of Saul that's still alive? Not that I can kill him, that I can show him kindness. I mean, David, who had every reason to go after Saul's descendants, you know what? Saul's dead, but I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to make sure his line is eradicated from the face of this earth. Instead of going after him and, and for evil, he locates Mephibosheth to do what? To bring him to his table to feed him from the king's choice dinner every day, every night. Mephibosheth actually was afraid at first when he heard David was looking at him, looking for him. He thought maybe he was out to kill him. He wasn't. David was out to bless him, to help him. That's someone, a champion of faith who learned to forget those things which are behind and then with God, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be nice. I could kill him, but you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to show him treatment that his father never showed me. That is the gospel. Do unto others what you would have others do unto you. Number four, qualities of a champion of faith. Pray always in the Holy Ghost. Jude verse 20. Beloved, build yourself up always. Praying always in the Holy Ghost. You build your faith as you're praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, faith does not come by praying in the Holy Ghost. Faith comes by hearing and understanding the Word of God. We've established that. But faith can be built up as you pray in the Holy Ghost. What do I mean by that? The word that's used there, and I'm actually coming out with a video on uh, this Monday on five reasons why you should speak in tongues. Five reasons why every believer should seek to speak in tongues and practice uh, speaking in tongues daily in their prayer life. And it's going to greatly help you. So look forward to that on Monday. Tune in for that. But the ver verse 20, Jude verse 20, when Jude is saying that we are to pray always in the Holy Ghost, building ourselves up in our most holy faith, that word build is the same word used, or yes, yeah, the same word used in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, 
And verse 4, where Paul is saying, speak in tongues, speaking in tongues edifies yourself. That word edify has to do with like a battery being charged up. And so when you're praying in tongues, it's not that faith is coming. It's that the faith that maybe has lied dormant in you or has dwindled is charging up. It's coming to life. It's building up. It's, it's, gaining, it's gaining energy. So a lot of people have faith dormant in their heart. They've heard the word. They know the word. But when you pray in the Holy Ghost, God actually steers that faith up. You know, Paul told Timothy, steer up the gift of God that is in you, that was given to you through the laying on of my hands and the prophetic prayers of the, of the presbytery. So Paul said that you can actually steer up the gift of faith in you. How do you steer it up? Pray always in the Holy Ghost. And the reason why it steers it up is because... When you're praying in the Spirit, any gift of the Spirit that you have or you seek to operate in, there has to be a manifestation of faith before the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. Every gift of the Spirit requires faith for its operation. You can't minister in the gifts of healing if faith is not uh, alive in you to the point where you're actually laying hands on the sick to minister healing to them. Can't work miracles unless you have faith to actually go out and work the miracle. So every manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit first came through a manifestation of faith. Faith is like the core of that. It's the seed that has to be sown for the operation of these gifts to be seen. And so when you're speaking in other tongues, you're releasing your faith. You're releasing your faith because you don't know what you're saying. It takes faith to speak in tongues. It takes faith at any, any moment. Just go, repo que raza brevere. Because in your natural mind, you're unfruitful, the Bible says. But your spirit is connecting with God's spirit through faith. You're releasing your faith. And as such, Jude 20 says, when you start to do that, you're exercising your faith as you pray in tongues. And the more you exercise your faith, the more it grows, the more it goes strong, the more it develops. Number four, praying always in the Holy Ghost. Kenneth Hagin, who I bring up oftentimes on this broadcast, he's someone worth looking into because he's, he's a powerful man of God. And um, he said, actually Jerry Savelle was, was um, questioning him once. He was interviewing him and he said, you know, isn't it interesting that at any moment you can like, you can just cross over into the spirit realm. Because many times they'd be at like a dinner, they'd be eating out at a restaurant and all of a sudden he'll pray in the spirit and then have a word, prophetic word, and it would turn in. This regular uh, dinner time meeting with him would turn into a, a revival meeting. And then there'd be people being ministered to and it'd be like a revival meeting and then he'd get up and just leave as people were like in tears as God moved. And so Jerry Savelle, that caught his eye and he said, how does he do that? How do you do that? What's your secret? You know what Kenneth Hagin said? He said, I'm always praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm always praying in an unknown tongue. I'm always speaking in my spirit to God in mysteries. And so at any time, because I'm keeping that sensitivity and awareness to the Holy Ghost and His indwelling presence at all times, I can cross over into the spiritual realm at any time. I can minister at any time. I'm, I'm ready in season and out of season to exhort, to rebuke, to teach with long suffering and doctrine. I'm ready. I can preach the word in season because there ain't an out season for me. That's how he answered. Isn't that powerful? Some, from someone who has impacted our generation. Number five, guard your heart. 
Qualities of a champion of faith. Number five, you need to guard your heart. They learn how to guard their hearts. They learn how to not let anything, everything in. They learned how to not pollute their spirit with just anything that comes their way. Jesus said, if your eye is single, your whole heart or your body will be filled with light. Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart above everything else for out of it flows the issues of life. Have you ever noticed there's some people that they always have an issue? They're always battling with issues. They're always talking about an issue. They always have something about somebody that's done them wrong or whatever they're always issue focused there's always something there's always trouble there's always calamity there's always problems they don't know how to talk about something else why it's because they're constantly exposing themselves and overexposing themselves to bad news and gossip and whispering and the news of others and things they have no business sticking their nose in and as such that's what they filled their heart with so they're always talking strife they're always the bible actually says that strife is like truffles to a man it goes down in their innermost being. It satisfies them. There's certain people that they're satisfied in gossip. It nourishes them. It strengthens them. Don't be like that. Champions of faith, they, don't, they do not entertain gossip. They don't entertain bad news. They don't entertain horrible news. They do not entertain heart-wrenching news. They're always focused on the good news. David said in the book of Psalms, Day to day I shall proclaim the good news of your salvation. So they guarded their heart. Who you run with in life matters. Because who you surround yourself with is who you're allowing the greatest influence on your heart. So if you surround yourself with morons, what do you think is going to happen? You're always going to be weighed down and not know why. You surround, with surround yourself with people that are always speaking and talking and sharing other people's business. I mean, I've been around people like that, and it it, 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 it it weighs me down. It literally makes me turn in my stomach. I don't feel like being around them. I've even, and I'll admit it, I've even in the past joined people in speaking ill, and I've repented quickly because I feel a heaviness come on me. And I've repented of that. And as far as it depends on me, by the grace of God, I don't do that anymore. Let that, you know, people start talking about other people around you. All right. Could we respectfully uh, talk about something else? I have no, I don't even care. I honestly don't even care. I'm not going to, I'm not getting drawn, drawn into that. I'm keeping to a pure path. The Bible says friendship with an angry man will actually, you'll learn his ways and set a snare for his soul, for your soul. So the people that you befriend will either serve as a help and an encouragement for you in life, or they're going to be snares all around you. Snares to catch you up. Snares to prevent you from moving forward. You, you let me choose the, your five closest friends, and I can guarantee you, I could either make you an a, a, a insecure, victim mindset type of person, or I can make you into a champion based on just choosing your five closest friends. Your five closest friends will determine... Where you go in life, and you can actually study, I think it was Forbes magazine, how much money you make in life is determined by your five closest friends. There's so many determining factors that are impacted by who you surround yourself with. The companion of a fool shall be destroyed. But he that walks with the wise shall himself be wise. Surround yourself with people that are going in the direction you want to go in. And then surround yourself with people that are there. I do that. A lot of my friends are well older, way older than I am. I have very few friends. And, 
and, and, and most of them are, well, are, are older than I am. Because they're where I want to go. And then not only that, because of modern technology, I don't even have to be close to somebody physically to actually be their friend. They don't even have to know I'm their friend. I'm their friend because of YouTube. I don't watch people that belittle the message of healing and all that. That aren't going that talk about crusades out of a thing of the past. I talk, I watch people who are doing what I want to do at a much higher level. I watch people like Bishop Oyedepo that has the largest church on earth. People are just flocking to, to, to that church all around the world to be in those services. I watch people like Kenneth Hagen. I watch people like my, my mentor, evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth. I watch people like Jonathan Shuttlesworth, his son. I watch these people because they're going where I want. They're there and they're going in the direction that I want to go to. I read books. You read my library behind me? There's nobody there that didn't do anything. I can... This isn't a green screen, by the way. I had someone ask me the other day, is this a green screen? It's not a green screen. There's real books here. This is physical books. And so I got people like Oral Roberts there. I got people like T.L. Osborne. I've got Smith Wigglesworth books. I got John G. Lake books. I got people that are doing what I, what I want to do. So guard your heart. Don't let anybody in. Should, you should, just like uh, at the British Palace, they have those guards that stand by. Nobody can get in unless they approve it. In the same vein, nobody should be able to come and influence your heart unless you approve it. Number six, qualities of a champion of faith, confession lifestyle. They have a confession lifestyle. The Bible says when men say there's a casting down, we will say there's a lifting up. They, by getting the word in their heart to the point of abundance. Remember, Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you have abundance of God's word in your heart, your mouth is going to naturally speak it. The Bible says that we are not to waver from our confession. Giants of faith develop Bible confession daily in the face of opposition. Numbers 13, two spies, Caleb had another spirit. We will by all means possess the land. We're by all means able to receive the promise of God in, in taking possession of this land. David, this day I'm going to cut your head off and feed your body to the birds of the air. Moses came before Pharaoh. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let my, he didn't stop speaking until he started seeing. And all these people are in the famous Heroes of Faith chapter in 11, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses. By faith, um, by faith, Abraham. Look at Abraham. Romans chapter 4. The Bible says that Romans 4. Let me read it. Romans chapter 4. This is one of the most powerful chapters of Roman, Romans. Listen to this. Romans 4 and verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it may be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, listen to this, God who gives life to the dead, and what else does God do? This actually shows you how God used faith in the creation of the world, the creation of the universe. Remember, God used faith to do those. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God spoke and the things were made. Romans 4 says that was actually the operation of God's faith in the creation of the world. 
who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not or do not exist as though they did. A lot of people, you know, people who don't have the champion of faith mindset, they don't see things in their life. And so they say, well, I'll, I'll, I call it as I see it. Or I'll say it when I see it. Or I'll believe it when I see it. Okay, Thomas. Faith isn't believing it when you see it or else you wouldn't need faith. Faith is not seeing anything in the natural realm that would give any evidence to it, but you found evidence in the word of God and you've seen it in your spirit to already speak it ahead of time. Faith is now. Faith isn't later. Faith isn't I'll wait till I see it. Faith is now. I will declare the goodness of the Lord while I'm yet in the land of the living. I will speak what, not what I see with my natural eyes, but what I see with my spiritual eyes from my exposure to the word of God. And I know that when I speak it, just like Abraham, listen to this, Abraham, who contrary to hope, believed in hope, so that he became, or in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall thy descendants be. And not being weak in faith, Abraham did not consider his own body. His confession wasn't based on his consideration of the natural realm. His confession was determined by his consideration of God's word. He didn't consider his own body, which was already dead. He was about 100 years old. Neither did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. I feel this in my spirit. There's some of you, you're believing for the fruit of the womb. You're believing for a child. And the doctors have pointed you to that you have cysts in your womb or because of the cysts you've had in your womb and the surgery you had, you'll never have children. Or they've said that, you know, because of, uh, of this and that in your womb, you're, you're not going to have children. You'll never be able to conceive. Or maybe it's sperm count in your husband. Because of that, we're Never being able to be con you're never going to be able to conceive well let me tell you if god can do it for abraham who had 100 years old and his wife being 90 to bring forth a child because he was 11 says by faith sarah herself received strength to conceive seed if faith can, can conceive seed in sarah and the bible says god will delights in giving you the desires of your heart and the desire of your heart is to have a child to hold your own child then i pray right now by faith i join my faith to your faith that through that faith you're going to receive strength in your physical body to have what is necessary to conceive in the name of Jesus Christ. I call forth the thing that doesn't exist in your womb. I call it forth. I call forth a perfect, healthy baby child. If you want a boy, call it a boy. If you want a girl, call it a girl. But I call forth a healthy baby child that shall come forth without trouble. For God's not the author of miscarriage. God's not the author. Of, he, doesn't, he, he, he doesn't bring barrenness on those that are faithful to his cause. He is the God of supernatural fruitfulness. He is the God of abundance. He's the God who said, be fruitful and multiply. God will give you the strength to actually uphold that commandment, which is to be fruitful and multiply. Who contrary to hope, believed in hope. He did not consider his own body, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. How? Giving glory to God. He used his mouth. Thank you, Father. Oh, hallelujah. Man, I feel the spirit on that. He thought, he thanked God, even though he didn't have a child, even though his wife was growing older and older every single year. He said, Father, I thank you that you're going to make me a father of a multitude of nations. I thank you that my story isn't ending with Ishmael. My Isaac is on its way. I thank you, God, that you're a God of supernatural fruitfulness. He, by his confession, 
exercised his faith to the point of the fulfillment of the promise. He did not waver, but was strengthened in faith as he confessed, as he gave glory to God. And he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Qualities of a champion of faith, number six, they have, they have developed a confession lifestyle. David said in Psalm 91, I will declare of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress, He is my strength. His faithful promises are my shield and my bulwark. Don't confess what you see. Confess what you've heard from God. Abraham grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Because he, the Bible says, actually, what was the source of his faith? According to that which was written, or that which was spoken, so shall thy descendants be. So he didn't look at Ishmael and say, I guess I'll just settle. He looked to the stars of heaven and said, that's how many stars I'm going to have. And that's another thing I'll tell you is, you're, you'll never rise higher than the level of confession that you have. You have a small mouth, you'll have small results. Small confession is based on small faith. And that's based on a small view of who God is. When you start to... Abraham, God told him to come out of the tent and look up to the heavens. Count the stars, can you? Stop being a small thinker. Small thinking produces small words. Small words produces small results. I serve a God who said he's able to do far more abundantly all that I can ask or think or imagine according to his great power that's working in me. Small thinking produces small words which produces small results. But when you start to get a glimpse that he's the God who's able to do far more abundantly all that you can ask, think, or imagine, then your confession changes. You don't talk small about God nor his plan. You start to speak big according to God's ability in what he's able to do. Hallelujah. There was a guy, I love telling this story. There was a man fishing. And a guy was watching him fish on a port. And he kept fishing. And every time he'd find a fish that was like bigger than 12 inches, he'd throw it back in. Every time he found a fish that was smaller than 12 inches, he would take it. He'd put it in his bucket. And so the guy got curious and he went down. He said, why do you keep throwing in the bigger fish? Wouldn't you want the bigger fish and throw out the smaller fish? He said, my frying pan's only 12 inches. You know what that tells you? Your level of confession is what's going to restrain what God does in your life. How big of a testimony that you have. You actually limit God through your small thinking and small words. He didn't have, you, some of you have a 12 inch confession. When God wants to give you a 100 foot yacht type of confession. Oh Father, I, you know, if you can just get this done, you don't need to cover the rest, just, just this, I'd be grateful for it. You who are not able to do the least, why do you worry about the rest? Why not cast all your cares on the Lord instead of just some? If you're believing God, instead of believing God for rent, why don't you believe God for ownership of a home? Instead of believing God for a, a lift and a ride to church, why don't you believe God for a car? Instead of believing God for... Uh, uh, you know, a, a, a job that just pays the bills. Why don't you believe God for a job that's going to be a dream job that's going to allow you to leave the realm of just enough and go into the realm of more than enough so you can be a blessing to those around you. Instead of believing God for 
you know, my, my children are, are wayward. I just pray that you'd bring them back to church. Instead of just believing God for them to come back to church, why don't you believe God that a revival would start in their heart where they'd actually be called into the ministry and be used by God to bring others into the kingdom of God? Quit talking small. It insults God. Your small thinking is insulting to God. That's why when God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a, a father of many nations. This time next year, you'll have your Isaac. Sarah laughed. And Abraham, uh, God told to, turned to Sarah and said, did you laugh? It's like she was like standing at the door. Did you laugh? Sarah said, no, no, I didn't. No, but you did. You did laugh. But it's going to be fulfilled according to its time. People, without even wanting... By the words that they speak, they limit God. And they're insulting God. They're laughing at God. Oh, yeah. Even if God should make the windows of heaven. Like 2 Kings 7. Even if God should open up the windows of heaven, could such a thing be? You know what Elisha said? You will indeed see it with your eyes. But since you spoke against the word of the Lord, you'll never eat it. You'll never eat it. And the next day, he was in charge with the food distribution. He got trampled underfoot. Zechariah praying. In the temple, angel Gabriel comes to him and says, Hey, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I'm here to bring you word. Elizabeth's going to conceive a child. You've been praying and believing God all these years? Well, it's come. How can that be? I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. When's the last time you saw an angel, you smart human being? I've come to bring you word. And because you didn't believe the word, indeed your mouth will be shut for a time. Do you know why the angel had to shut Zechariah's mouth? Because if he had let Zacharias' mouth just run and keep on spewing out unbelief, it would have uprooted that seed that God was going to put in, in, in Elizabeth. They would have never conceived. It would have never changed their story. She would have never had become fruitful because of his words. Number six, confession lifestyle is, that, is the lifestyle of every champion of faith. Number seven, Undelayed obedience is a quality of a champion of a faith. It's a characteristic trait that I pray. You know, all these qualities, I'm not just saying so we can look, oh, wow, those are great. I wish I could be like that. As I speak these words, I'm, I prayed this before the broadcast and I pray it right now, that grace would be imparted to you to become. You know, the Bible says they believed in the light and became child's, children of light. As you believe in what I'm speaking right now, Faith will empowers you to become what you believe for. I'm praying that grace would be imparted to you to become these things. People will notice a difference. That's not the same person. That's not the same shy, timid TJ. God didn't give him a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Number seven, undelayed obedience. Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, depart from your country, from your father's house, from your relatives, and go into the land which I will show you. And Abraham got up the next morning and consulted with Sarah whether they had enough money. No, Abraham left the next morning, bringing Lot with him. The next morning, undelayed, didn't wait, didn't, you know, maybe we should reconsider. The next day, he got up and he left. Then a few chapters later, God says, I need you to circumcise your son and everyone that's in your camp. The next day, rising early in the morning, he circumcised everyone in his camp. Didn't wait it off. Didn't think, well, what are they going to think? Maybe we should put a poll whether this is even the right thing to do. Let's, um, is this even the popular opinion right now? Do people want to get circumcised? He didn't care. He cut them up. <laughs> he went, and that was not an easy thing to do. 
But he did it, didn't delay. David said, I did not delay, but I made haste in keeping your commandments. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I want you to write that in the comment section. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You keep holding things off for time and time and time again. There's going to be a day where God just moves on to the next person. You've lost your opportunity. It's like a wave. If you're a surfer, you don't wait till the wave is, is near crashed. You find it when you locate the wave while it's rising. And you say, that's the one I'm going to catch. And then you find it. And then you hit it when it's at its peak. And then you ride the wave. When you receive an instruction from God, God tells you to do something, there's an initial excitement that comes on you. There's a thrill. There's a wind that comes behind your back. If you sit on that excitement, the excitement's going to go and you'll never do it. Abraham didn't sit on the word. He went with the word. He wasn't giving God his opinion on what he thought what the matter was. He took God's instructions and obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed and he went out into the city which he would receive, whose builder and foundation would be from God. Genesis 22, God says, now you have Isaac, sacrifice him. Oh God, maybe there's another way. The next day, rising early in the morning again, he brought Isaac along with some people to the mountain that God showed him, put him on the altar and was going to kill him. And God said, hey, stay your hand because I know that you will not disobey me and you've not withheld your own son. Indeed, in blessing, I will bless you and in in multiplying, I'll multiply you. When you obey God uncompromisingly, you release a, God puts a sworn blessing on you that nobody can mess up. Just like Numbers 23, 19 and through 20. It says God has blessed them. No man can curse them. When you're intent on following God's instructions, in keeping his instructions, in obeying God, it doesn't matter who comes against you. They'll fall under your feet. It doesn't matter what devil, it doesn't matter if Satan himself made it a point, I'm, I'm going to stop him. When God starts something out, nobody can stop them. When God commands something, nobody can cancel it. When God ordains a thing, nobody can annul it. When he has stretched forth his hand, when he comes behind you, who can turn it back? Nobody. Jesus experienced supernatural results everywhere he went. Multiplied fish, multiplied bread, fed 5,000, fed 4,000, sent his disciples out without anything and they didn't lack supernaturally provided for them. Why? He said, the Father is, is always with me because I always do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He obeyed God. As a result, he secured God's presence and he secured God's blessing everywhere he went. Number eight, and I finish with this. Number eight quality of a champion of faith is they have an inability to ever quit. They don't quit. There's no quitting for a champion of faith. Paul said, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have kept the faith. I fought the fight. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, through faith, they subdued kingdoms. They escaped the edge of the sword. And then they name, and time will fail me. If I start to mention everybody in the heroes of faith, and he says David, and he says Elijah, and, he's, and he names a bunch of other people, Gideon. You look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you don't bow, we're, we're going to throw you into a furnace burning with fire. Nebuchadnezzar, it's easy for us to answer you. We'd rather burn than bow. And what happened? Did they burn? No, they didn't quit. Nothing can get them to back down. Nothing can get them to, to compromise. Nothing could get them... 
to, 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 to give up. If you won't give up, the devil will let up. The devil's a quitter. People of faith don't quit. That's why he loses every battle. That's why if you keep the devil in the arena of faith and you fight the good fight of faith and you keep pressing onward, you'll never lose. Whatever is of faith has overcome the world. This is the victory, even our faith. Faith brings the victory because faith doesn't quit, even if the circumstances get worse at first. Jesus tells Jairus, I will come and heal your daughter. As they're on the way, his daughter dies. People are sent from his house. Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. Quit. Give up. It's no longer use to bring him to the house. Your daughter's dead. What can he do now? It's what the devil's telling many of you. You've tried. You've done everything. All the seven habits of faith. You've done it all. You've pressed every button of faith that you know to press. And nothing's changed. Just quit. Give up. You know what Jesus said? Hey, hey, hey. I know things got, went from worse to, to really worse. But only believe. Don't quit. Don't give up. He that begins a good work in you, he's going to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Only believe. All things are possible to him that believes. And he went into the house, raised her from the dead, and restored him back, restored her back to her, her father, alive. Don't quit. It's impossible to be a winner if you're a quitter. It's impossible to overcome if you, you quit. Most people quit at 11.59 when, when the clock was going to hit midnight. God, it's like you had stored up the cloud. I almost think of it like this. As I do actions of faith, I'm storing up a cloud of God's blessing. And the more I, I, I walk in faith, and I don't walk by sight, and I walk by faith, and I do what he tells me to do, irrespective of my feelings, I'm storing up that cloud. And there's going to be a day where it's going to pour. Most people have stored up the cloud to a point where it's about to pour, and had they just not given up, they would have started to see. Just like Elisha. Elisha, Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, he's praying for rain to come. After he turned Israel back to God, he's praying for rain to come on the Mount Carmel. And he's praying and he's praying. And he tells his servant to go and check if there's any rain. He goes and he sees nothing. Comes back. There's nothing, Elijah. Go and check again. There's nothing, Elijah. Go and check again. There's nothing, Elijah. Elijah could have said, well, you know, we tried. Now we got to just leave it up to God's will. No, God already made his will clear. If things aren't working, it's not because God changed his mind. It's because we got to keep to this fight of faith until Abraham, fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able and fully able to perform in his life. Abraham could have at 98 years old, you know, I give up. He didn't. 99 years old, he's still calling himself Abraham, which is father of a multitude of, of, of uh, nations. You know how ridiculous he must have looked going up to people and introducing himself as the father of the multitude of nations when his own wife was barren? How stupid he must have looked? What do you mean father of a multitude? What, where's your kid? Well, I have Ishmael, but it's through my servant. What about your wife? Uh, yeah. What do you mean father of a multitude of nations? You're a father of nothing. You're a father of some kid you don't even like. <laughs> but he didn't quit. He didn't quit. Because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he's able to perform. So Elijah prayed again and again. Finally, the, the servant came back and said, I see the cloud, the size of a man's hands coming from the sea, but it's nothing much to look at. Uh, well, we prayed for rain, but I guess God didn't see it fit to give us rain. He saw it fit to give us a cloud. No. Oh, there's a cloud? He didn't get discouraged? I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. 
Some of you are starting to see the trickling. You're starting to hear the rattling of the bones. You're starting to see your prayers come to work, but it's not at the level that you wanted. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. If you keep sowing to the Spirit, you are from the Spirit. Reap a shower of blessing, and you will see with your eyes everything the Lord promised. You will not be discouraged. You will not be disappointed. For those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They can never be shaken. They shall not be discouraged. They shall not be disappointed. They shall not be ashamed. Faith brings a good report. I pray that these four qualities of faith, as you're watching me right now, I'm praying for you all right now, they would get embedded in your spirit. I pray that God would drive it in your heart. I pray that the old nature you had, the old way of thinking, the old mindset that you had, that whole woe is me, dumb thinking that you had would flush out of your life like a toilet being flushed with dung in it. And that instead, that God would fill you with this nature. This nature that is always looking for an opportunity. The champion mindset that's always looking for the way out. Always looking for the possibility. Always looking to the, pro to the promise, not to the problem. In the name of Jesus Christ. God's, God, this broadcast is a life-changing broadcast for many of you. You'll never be the same again. God's turning something on the inside of you. God is bringing that lion nature alive. You've been slapped around. People in your own family walk all over you. And I'm not saying the champion of faith is some rude, obnoxious jerk. That No. But there are these qualities of faith do generate a dignity in you. Where you walk. A lot of times people of faith are mistakenly seen as arrogant. They're not arrogant. They are not arrogant. There's just, there is a, an auron, there's an aroma. You know, the Bible says we carry the aroma of Christ. You smell like Christ. The Bible says we should look like Christ. I mean, Paul said we should imitate Christ. Do you think Christ was being walked all over? Do you think Christ was just some, you know, dud? No, people respected Christ. People went to Christ because they saw this man looks like a guy who knows what he's doing. He has answers. He looked like a man who carried solutions. God is, this message is not only going to change your spirit on the inside, it's going to change the way you look. You're going to carry yourself differently. I pray in the name of Jesus as you behold this word, as in a mirror from the word of God, that you be transformed by grace into that same image by the spirit of the Lord. From today, I pray, Lord, let that champion nature rise up. Not arrogance in self, not boasting in self, not bragging about self, but Father, that we would understand that our boast is in the Lord and carry ourselves as such. People of fear or insecure people have no security in God. But Father, I'm going to have my security in God. Some boast in chariots, some boast in horses, but I'm going to boast in the Lord who made me, fashioned me, put His Spirit in me, I'm not going to walk around like lesser is he that lives in me than he that's in the world. I'm going to walk around as like what the Bible says, greater is he that lives in me than he that's in the world. You have a new identity in Christ. You should have a new confession about yourself. You should see yourself differently. You know, the Bible says we should no longer regard ourselves as according to the flesh, even as we regard Christ no longer as according to the flesh. For if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, everything becomes new. If you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus and you'd like to do so, you want to come into the family of God. Not everyone's born a child of God. Nobody's born a child of God. We were all born in sin. The Bible teaches that very clearly. The wages of sin is death. 
We all had this poison of sin that broke us off from God, that canceled our relationship with God. The Bible says that we were without God, hopeless in this world, disconnected from God, all gone astray, all become corrupt, done abominable deeds with absolutely no way back to God except Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to God except through me. If you're watching right now and you, you, you don't know for sure, without a shadow of doubt, that your, your life is right with God, you can't gamble with this. Time is short. Eternity is too long. Hell is too hot. Heaven is too real. And my responsibility is too great to just let you hear this broadcast and not give you an invitation to give your life to Jesus Christ today. Has there ever been a time in your life where you stood before a holy God and said, Lord, I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin. I've been going my own way my whole life. I know I'm living a life that's not pleasing to you. But today, but today, something moved in me where I want to reconnect with God. I know that your way is always higher than my ways. I've done my way. It's only brought me death and sorrow and misery and, and tragedy. But I know that if I'll go your way, you said in the way of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. There's two paths you can follow in life. There's the path that's broad and it's many that find it. And there are many that go by it. And the Bible says it's paved with destruction and it's broad and it leads to destruction. It's paved with thorns and thistles. But there's another way in life. It's narrow. Few are there that find it. But I can tell you it's called the way of life. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the life. On that way is life. In that way, there's blessing. In that way, there's peace. In that way, there's joy. In that way, there's salvation. And ultimately, at the end of it all, there's heaven. Heaven's a real place. God didn't create hell for you. He created it for the devil and his angels. God created heaven for his people. God created heaven for those that would accept Jesus Christ. Turn from sin. Repent. And walk hand in hand with Christ the rest of their life. If that, if, is that you? If it is, you need to make right with God today. You need to pray this prayer that I'm about to pray. If perhaps somewhere down the line you made that decision once, but then... a divorce, bad relationship, job loss, tragedy in, in your family, whatever it is, it got you off the course. But today you say, I want to come back. I'm like the prodigal son. I want to return. I will return to my father's house. If that's you. You need to pray this prayer with me. From the bottom of your heart, say this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. I repent of my sin. I will live for you as you empower me with grace. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come live in my heart, Jesus. Where I was weak, make me strong. For I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess, Jesus is my Lord. I will live for him, and I'll even be ready to die for him. Heaven is now my home. I'm never going back. Forward always, backward never. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would love for you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. Get it to me. I want to I uh, hear from you. I'll also, at the bottom of that page, there's a YouTube video, four basic things I would tell every new Christian. Listen to it. It's going to greatly help you. It's going to equip you uh, with, with what you need right now. So go and listen to that on YouTube, Four Basic Things. It's at the bottom of the page. It's going to greatly help you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online 
www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.